0: Mm. The, the whole idea is make you more thoughtful, make you more empathetic. It's just making you kind of planting the seed in your mind so that you become, you don't lose that attribute, which is very, very important.
1: by, I'll be right there.
2: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 344. My name is Minter and I'm your host for this podcast. Today is Sunday, the 13th of October, 2019. And this week's interview is with Uday Akaraju. Uday is CEO and founder of Bond AI, and he's on a mission to bring empathy to the finance world. Bond AI is a human-centered AI platform for financial institutions, powered by the world's first empathy engine for finance. Uday is a bona fide innovator, technologist, and designer. In this conversation with Ide, we talk about his entrepreneurial journey, on why he started, how he's creating an empathic AI, his increasingly sophisticated work with personas, the challenges and power of creating the right voice, and so much more. Uday Akaraju, all right, so I hope I got that somewhat right. Uh, Uday, oh, my God, you got it right. Oh, yeah. perfect. So you are a human-centered designer, as you like to say, and That's also right. the CEO of a company called Bond AI, and of yes. course, I came across you because you're all about putting empathy into AI, and what a cool idea is that. What got you into this?
0: Oh, man, I, I don't know if I have to share this in this podcast or it's, not, it's kind of a sad because the thing is I mean uh, I was living in uh, in California before, so I used to have I had a good paycheck. I mean no complaints about that, but uh, because maybe I was living in a costly metropolitan area, I was living paycheck to paycheck. so and there was I mean I didn't predict any kind of disaster or something happening to me or my finances, but it happened like it happens in rare cases, but it happened to me. So, I went into a financial hole, It kind of brought everything down because I was kind of in a position where my finances were in the worst position possible. Mm. So, I had to do something. So, like everybody does, I started using these apps like Mint and all these apps. I started using 18 different services.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in six months down the line, I mean, I realized nothing was working. So... I, I have a background in cognitive science and human-centered design. Till then, I mean, I haven't applied really, really into something very practical. So I thought, okay, should should I actually design something for myself because there's no other way around. So I have to do something because I was at the rock bottom. So I actually looked at my own habits. I actually looked at my own transactions. I looked at my what I've, I've been doing, what my behaviors were, what my impulsive spending and my, my instant gratification behaviors and all that stuff. So I actually... If you think I am, I mean, or I empathize with my future self, whatever you can call it. So that was the starting point, And I actually designed a program. How can I empathize with myself? Kind of, I mean, you know, I mean, the definition of empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, thinking from somebody else's state of mind. But this actually had, I mean, I actually split myself into two different parts hmm. and think like a third person. And so that's how I got into it. 18 months down the line, everything worked out, and I came out, and I even had some money to actually invest in this project. So that was the story, how it all started.
2: Wow. So when you go through this journey, you say you're in the third person, but at some level, maybe not only are you talking with your future self, you really are putting yourself in as the shoes of the person in need of astute financial help.
0: Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's very, first of all, I mean, empathy, I mean, the, the concept, the feeling of empathy itself is complicated, right? I mean, it's not easy. It's not an easy cognitive task for somebody else to assume somebody else's state of mind and feel like them, think like them. But in my case, it was even more trickier because it was just me. I had to have just two different parallel uh, kind of uh, uh, <clears throat> bodies or whatever minds because I had to think like a third person, because if I think like me, I have these biases, I'm going to have these kind of compromises. So I had to be very, very follow a standard framework, because I had some definite rules, which I had to follow. So that actually helped out.
2: Yeah, so being in the shoes of somebody else, it's one thing when you're being in your own shoes. Yeah. It's another to try to consider the framework that works for Others. So the, the great thing is you're you're going from a place of need, which seems to be such the right place to go for entrepreneurs. Right. It's it's a concrete, live, live wire case, yep. and yet you know every person who comes into financial distress comes with a very different background, story, set of issues, network that they can rely on or not, and so on. So. Right. I want. I, you know, let's start with understanding how you tried to create a strong framework for your Bond AI and this empathy engine. How How did you materially go about that? Did you start with yourself, and or give us a little bit of an idea of the the in your mind? How did Uday go through making this larger framework?
0: Yeah. So the thing it's it's all started with me. So as I tell you, it's all started with me, but. As you know, I mean, if you have to uh, apply it to in a in a, a large scale, understanding human behaviors and understanding people is very difficult because everybody is different. Every there's so many intricacies, there's so many differences with everybody. So they cannot be a generic framework, but they cannot be a generic kind of a program. But they can be a generic framework. So what we do is, what I did was, uh, first of all, I mean, I created this framework. We had a big survey because that is part of a uh, human-centered design. We had a sample size of uh, 500 people where we actually went out and validated whether we are actually having enough data points to actually empathize with people. So what we realized quickly was when we are dealing with money, the whole focus has been around transactions. Whole focus has been about the accounts they have. Whole focus has been about how they're spending or what they're purchasing history, but that's not the whole life because yes, this is about money. This is about finances, but it has a much, much bigger picture because it's affecting the whole life. And when you talk about the whole life, there are so many other parameters you need to consider. So what we do, I mean, what we typically do is once we we so I know we integrate with banks, so we help banks help their uh, consumers on the financial health. So what we typically do is once we integrate with a bank we get the transaction data of that particular the, the particular consumer so the first and foremost step what we do is once we get the transaction we construct a persona so that becomes very very important because creating the persona enables us understand what the consumer has been doing and what he or she might need in the future but as i said the most important part is that persona is just based on transaction data And that is not an accurate reflection of the whole person of that person. So that is the problem we had to tackle. That is the most important learning. I mean, we can talk about it, but that's the most important thing we do, how we tackle that problem and how do we we actually come up with a solution.
2: How many personas did you feel you needed to do? How do you feel like you're covering? How do you know when you're covering the whole spectrum or do you see enough of a spectrum to make a viable business?
0: yeah so see I mean we just started with say five personas right which yeah, spending persona savings persona planning borrowing kind of the basic the basic personas we were categorizing different profiles into the basic personas but as we actually went on looking at these uh, different patterns of the of consumer- today we have more than 200 personas it's like a persona which is more deliberately saving i mean there's so many i mean granular details we have so we have more than 200 personas uh, of people because the thing is as i told you what we do is we take the transaction data we create a persona but how do we get the non-financial data because we call it those intangible data points because they are in your mind they're in the mind of the consumer they're all these behaviors they're all these habits how do we get that so that is the reason why we actually chose uh, conversation as our front end to the technology. So now what we do is while, while we have conversations with the consumer, we predict context. That's the bigger, part, biggest part of the engine. And contextually, we get these intangible data points which are missing from a tangible data source like transactions. So by combining these intangible data points where we get through conversations, and the tangible data points we get, so the transactions, purchase histories, and all that, we actually construct a much, much comprehensive and a three sixty degree persona of the consumer, where we can try to empathize. That's what we. I mean, I say always is, you would never, never have enough data points to actually create a persona or understand human behavior because there's so many variables. So instead of predicting outcomes, we predict context, so that we can establish a validation loop with the consumer while having conversation and validate that
2: in your apply your empathy engine you talk Mm -hmm. about having a certain number of criteria can you Mm -hmm. talk us through how you how many and how you structured those criteria and and how you decided not to include others where you know there's that kind of a construction again this is about creating empathy and i'd be curious to understand what are the elements that went into your contextual understanding of the others to create the empathy
0: Correct. So, we have a generic framework of the whole data points we need to actually empathize with the consumer. But as I told you on at the beginning, we won't get that. And maybe for some consumers, the data—I mean, we need some like twenty-year data point. For some, we might need five hundred to empathize. The situation is different. So that's how it's—it's very generic. So that's what I, I told you is, if we have enough data points, we get it. If we don't have enough data points we get through that contextual conversation, but the most important thing we do is we actually validate with the consumer. We are not making any big predictions because we are dealing with a sensitive uh, domain, which is finance. If we predict something, uh, we actually validate with that consumer to actually say, okay, this is yes, this is ticked or this is not ticked. So that is how we are actually narrowing down and narrowing down so that we can really, really understand the situation and add value and empathize with the consumer.
2: All right so you've got the empathy engine you've yeah. um, you you you're applying it to financial institutions yeah the reason why you went financial institutions first seems to me very personal relative to your yeah. story at the beginning yeah is there any other story that you tell shareholders because i i can't imagine you necessarily always spill your guts to potential investors about the reason why or how do you go about <laughs> establishing that the institutional invest sorry financial institutions
0: were the ones that were the most in need of this i mean the thing is i mean i was one of those the larger group which actually suffers right i mean if you see stats today i mean 81 percent of consumers are stressed financially it was like 69 a couple of years ago 75 like Maybe last two two years ago, and the latest reports, if you see from all these organizations like uh, the Financial Health Network, they say eighty-one percent of consumers in the U.S. are financially stressed. That's a large number, so it's not just me, but it's a lot of people doing. I mean, uh, having financial stress, and as of that, I mean, there's a lot of. It's not only affecting their kind of personal lives, but it's also affecting work. There are so many. I mean, we've we've concentrated on how this. Kind of financial stress is actually affecting work, and how is it affecting companies? There's so much. There's so much happening. So we use those kind of statistics. We actually use live personal because live use cases. We have a lot of users now, so we have a lot of real use cases, and we also have success stories. How we actually transform those behaviors so that they went from point A to Z, and how the empathy engine actually helped them. So we use those right now. We can use those stories, but before it was just uh, selling based on my story and based on all the data points we collected and based on the user studies we have done.
2: So you've now got several hundred personas. You've got a large database of users. You've got the large database, presumably accumulating more data points as you go along, focusing on financial institutions. And yet, Uh you have to create a voice, as it seems to be mostly voice, centered in terms of the experience but maybe there's a chat engine as well but how do you ensure that level of trust because when you mentioned talking about money what i immediately go to is it can very quickly become distrustful exactly if if there's one way to uh understand trustworthiness is your ability to hand over a hundred dollar bill to somebody
0: that's
2: right (laughs) you know you do it begrudgingly (laughs) with even a friend you know like oh you give that back to me right right so in, in how do you establish that
0: trust yeah so two things i mean uh when somebody has a need right when it's all about when somebody has a need and you actually uh provide at least like some percentage of value there's automatically that trust kinds of builds up so because we are starting with a need, so we are actually making people realize their needs. If somebody doesn't realize, but if somebody starts with a need like me, we're actually enabling that enabling them to overcome that problem. So in that sense, the trust is trust comes by default in that situation. But in other cases where there is no need, I mean people don't realize that. So how do we get need in that situation is So we start by being uh, really proactive. We start by really not reactive, but we start by being proactive. We keep giving them some kinds of insights. Okay, so there's this happening, there's something happening in your finances. So that what we are trying to do is we are trying to warm them up for this kind of uh, engine and also building trust at the same time. Because that is, as you said, that is the most important element for us. How do we build trust? How do they actually believe in our system and actually start following insights, then we can actually see behavioral change. So we start by being proactive. We start attacking the needs because we narrow down completely on the needs. So once we make them realize their need, how pressing that is, it becomes an easier journey for us and for them.
2: How important is the voice itself that's speaking back?
0: So that's a very, very important piece. Conversation, I mean, voice and text is a really, really big thing because we, I mean, the biggest problem of people, I mean, in finance or anything, but let's talk about finances is articulating that need. It's difficult for people to actually express. I mean, for example, I mean, I was in my problem, I went to my bank and they asked me, what is the problem? It is difficult to, I mean, articulate that. It, you cannot articulate that need in one email or in one document. At, at one go, it ha- it will happen over a period of time. So we have to actually have continuity and we actually have to measure all these bits of information we keep receiving from the consumer over a period of time. So two things, one is by using conversational interfaces like voice, uh, we are actually helping them directly talk like how talk- you and me are talking, they're like how oh, they're talking with their friends, their family. So there's no need of articulation. Second thing is because we are trying to we are retaining context here, so we are able to connect the dots when they actually say about these needs, not now, tomorrow, or next month. So we are able to do that. And the third thing is the reason we are using voice because it is a neutral medium, and voice or text, whatever the conversation is, it is a neutral medium. What we see is people have been expressing more freely to a neutral medium compared to me or a friend or a person. So we are actually, you are using the sound version interfaces just to achieve these three things. So can
2: I just go back? I mean, neutral. A voice for me is neutral. Any, any voice tells a story by the tonality, speed Correct. with which they talk. I mean, text, right. just sending a text is neutral. But when you Correct. have a voice coming back to you that yeah. may or may not sound like a human's voice, it right. could be misconstrued as a person as opposed to text to a chatbot. Of course, by the way, that could be a, a person behind the typewriter as well.
0: Yeah, but we, we explicitly make it clear that there is no person. That that's the first step. We, we, so there are, there are some people which uh, there is a blur between who if, it, if there's an agent talking or if there's actually a bot talking. But we explicitly make it clear so that at uh, I mean when they st- get started, they clearly know that it's actually a neutral medium. We just want to establish that in their state of mind, that it is neutral.
2: Yeah. So a couple of things within the voice
0: component
2: of this mm-hmm. is, you know, a woman's voice, man's voice, uh, Correct. Or, or perky voice, a soft, deep, gravelly voice, Yeah. A, uh, and, then, and then the terminology. <laughs> hey, hey, dude, you die. You know, dude, great idea. Let's do that. Let's invest more. Or yeah. uh, Mr. Karaju, I think it'd be really important, too. So those types of decisions in the process, how did, how important are they versus the engine di- dissecting and and creating out of the data the right path, tr- decision trees, and so on?
0: Yeah, so again, everything comes back to the persona. So now, so what the Empathy Engine does, I mean, you got a good question. So what the Empathy Engine does is two things. One, I mean, first the thing is it's based on the persona. So once we know the persona of the person, we actually have our own language library we have our own tone library so that we understand for that persona we have a mapping so for that persona what is the kind of voice which actually might suit better so right now it's it's actually different so it's different when i'm talking to the empathy engine it's it's different if you are talking to the empathy engine. the conversations are totally different the tone is totally different the persona of the voice itself is totally different so i mean it's still an experimental phase but i think we have a very good sense of mapping where for what user persona what uh, voice persona is ideal it's still happening but i think that's the path we're taking
2: well i i you know I, I was i've watched a few of your demos and uh-huh. and of course it's marvelous because you you know you're trying to play let's say a game on stage which you have to um I mean, yet yeah, yeah. you can see it's live and yeah. Uh you It's obviously got you and your your vibe, and I was just wondering you know if you know an old man like me were to use yeah. it to what extent it would be different, and it might be useful in your demos to show that counterpoint yeah you tend to show different methods of you, but what would be interesting is to have exactly the same question by somebody else
0: exactly, so we're doing that at the conference next month, I so see. I think yeah yeah, <laughs> that's what I was
2: thinking because what you want to do. Yeah. As far as the audience is concerned, is make them think, yeah. oh, that would be different for me because I don't like yeah. that one, and it feel makes them feel, oh, well, I would be treated differently if I asked exactly the same question. Anyway, that was just a, a thought for you.
0: Um, so yeah, but again, again, go. I mean, the two schools of thought again on that is people expect consistency, right? I mean, people want something strong, people want something same, especially in a sensitive domain like money. People want really, a, I mean, kind of an authentic, a consistent, a standard. Uh, voice talking to them it's not the real physical voice I'm talking about the persona of the voice talking to them so we realize that is also important so we are not uh, diverting or digressing much we are not focusing much on kind of having so many different voices but we just want to establish this as a standard an authentic kind of voice but with different I mean minor minor modifications modulations like, like we do in signal processing so we do that so we just really don't want to take a drastic step of changing right. uh, different voices but yeah
2: well you need to focus your energies because you know having the sum total of all possible voices adapted and appropriate for every it's, person according to the mood and according to the person and the language and <laughs> yeah you could spend a lifetime
0: yeah but because i mean two aspects i mean people are more concerned about that real need i mean in your mind i mean it's not you're not really focusing on um, when you, I mean that's what I said it's very very important we narrow down the need and address that need so that we eliminate a not lot of other noise and we are actually able to narrow down even the trust aspect even on the I mean authenticity aspect.
2: Got it. so um, what I wanted to end off with is a little bit more about the mission you're on and mm. we were talking offline about how you've aligned. With your angel investor community that's investing in you, with your purpose. So tell us what is your purpose, and I want to get into that just a little bit after.
0: Yeah, two things. I mean, if you see, if you, I mean, if you see my keynotes, I mean, one purpose we, I'm really trying to achieve. I mean, as always, we are losing empathy. I mean, if it's not just me telling, but there have been so many reports about people actually losing empathy because consistently we've been outsourcing our thinking to some technology or AI. Right, Small things, right, from Amazon to big things. so we've been doing that. So I think consistently we are losing one of the most important attributes, which actually identifies us as human. So we are losing empathy. So with the empathy engine, our the the whole idea is make you more thoughtful, make you more empathetic. It's just making you kind of planting the seed in your mind so that you become, you don't lose that attribute, which is very very important, so because once you have that empathy as attributed, not just being kids or not, not being adults, if you have empathy, there are a lot of things a positive things which can happen because that's, that's what happened happen to me I could empathize with myself, I could actually solve my problem so which if you have if you so that is the first mission, how do we kind of preserve this even in this technology we can't go away with technology but with technology, how can we still preserve this? That's the first mission. And the second mission, because we are applying to money, this, the whole empathy engine to the financial world, our whole focus is how do we enhance financial health? How do we enhance financial wellness? Because even uh, with the partners or the uh, company or the financial institutions we are aligning with, the, we have we've been very selective. So it's not that we can do a lot of things, but we are focusing on institutions or banks which are focused on this aspect of enhancing financial health. So those are the two focuses, and that is the whole mission about us, the company and the me.
2: So as you know, you die I've written this book, Artificial Empathy, and I talk yeah. about self-empathy. Yeah, right. if, if someone is listening to this who's not particularly well-versed in empathy,
0: mm-hmm. what
2: you're saying could sound like, well, just being selfish. You know, you're dealing with yourself. Yeah. And… And talk us through how you feel that the reflectiveness helps us be empathetic more in society as well, or not just by yourself. Talk. How do you relate that?
0: that, that that's what. So I think it's. Not, I mean, I don't want to say people are selfish. People are. I mean, compassionate people are sympathetic. People are empathetic, but I think the degree of which they have been empathetic has been declining. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that. So the thing is, the only reason again I say that is th- there are two things right now. Before it was just the physical world. Now there is the virtual world. So the basic ingredients of empathy are emotions. I mean, understanding emotions. I mean, uh, being compassionate. The, um, these kind of attributes are very, very important. And because we are spending a lot of time in the virtual world, uh, those. I mean, it's not. We. I'm not blaming people, but. We don't experience that same thing, but what we express using in the physical world every day. So it is just a phase. I mean, so we have to balance it. The only way we can balance it is if the old, the physical conversation actually taught us empathy. We also have to make sure this virtual conversation teaches us empathy. So. Yeah, Yeah. I do do like the way you
2: talk about being empathetic with your future self. Yeah. It does make you project and then think about anticipation and, you know, who am I?
0: Yeah. What do I want to be in the future? Exactly. You have to ask this question. I mean, when you ask me the question about people, I think you definitely have to ask this question, okay, who am I? What am I going to do in the future? how am I going to really fit collectively in the society? I mean, what what is that small, I mean, it's not, it might not be big, but what is that small change I can contribute, what, that is that small change I can bring as a whole? I think that is very, very important.
2: And the other thing, of course, is that you're working with financial institutions, which, while dealing with the most important element, your financial assets, are yeah. not known for being warm and cuddly kind of people. <laughs> and if if you know, you look at a list of industries with whom people have trust, financial yeah. institutions are uh, in the lower quartile, if not Absolutely. at the very bottom. Correct. And, and and I you know, I, I like my book Artificial Empathy, I'm trying to think of business as a way to improve empathy in society at large. And so Correct. you know, naturally what you're trying to do, I have to guess, is help through Bond AI in financial institutions is making them when you well pick them be more empathic with customers and say oh gosh this is a bank that cares
0: yeah yeah exactly it comes down to the culture i mean those are people too right i mean it's the same with people working in the bank it's the same with people actually being customers we are all experiencing the same phenomenon of being in the virtual world so i think it's the same yeah exactly so we we have something even for the employees to actually become more empathetic so the thing is we have one system for the consumers. We have one system for the back office, the employees. So both actually have the same mission, kind of make them more empathetic.
2: And right, last question is, how do you make the return on investment argument with the financial institutions? You need to spend X with me
0: and it'll return Y to you. What does that conversation look like? <laughs> so, see, it comes down See, the financial institutions, I think, come down to just two things. I mean, really... Their uh, kind of uh, user acquisition costs and the lifetime customer value. If the lifetime customer value is more, they tend to have, I mean, more profits and they have tend to have more revenue. So, the, w- that central thing we are trying to focus for them is h- we how do we enhance the LCV or the lifetime customer value. So, if we are consistently adding more value to the consumer through our platform consistently personalizing or hyper personalizing the experiences for the consumer it is reflecting in enhancing the lifetime customer value and that's what the financial institutions care about so that's the trade-off that is the big roi for for them it's not about yes i mean some people talk about efficiencies come on I, i need to use your system to actually increase the efficiency of my employees my contact center employees but that is a minor part of it but seriously and we are focusing more on the retail side really we are adding value we're increasing personalized engagement so that the lcv is increasing for the institutions and there's a huge roi because of that
2: mm-hmm. sounds great well udai so thank you so much for coming on the show tell us how people can read up about you follow you learn more about bond
0: yeah thanks i mean it's Thanks I mean, for hosting me. It's been great. I mean, we share the same passion, but if anybody wants to learn about us, we are very active on Twitter bond.ai, AI. That's the Twitter handle. And yeah, you can go to our website also, but it's more focused towards financial institutions. It's www.bond.ai.
2: Fabulous. Uday, Uday, sorry. Have Uday. You know, have a nice day. That's what I was going to say. Great <laughs> to have you on the show. Thanks again and look forward to staying in touch
0: with you.
1: wrong with challenge. I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free, trusting my reason.